That's great. Fantastic. Thank you, Pastor Alan and Eleanor, for your warm welcome. And um, I always get nervous when people uh, introduce me because sometimes they go, who's he? Or they, or sometimes people go through what you've done if you go to certain settings and I go, oh, I felt tired. <laughs> Did I do that? I don't know. But it's all the grace of God, isn't it? And I'm just a little boy from Johnsonville in Wellington. I was born and bred there um, and uh, went to Napier, did my teenage years there, and then I went to Palmerston North and uh, to do Teachers College. I'm actually a trained teacher, and um, I met my beautiful wife. Um, I'm a real advert for serving in the church people, especially young people. Get serving, I'll tell you what, because I was song leading the night she walked in. And I walked this little blonde with long boots and a mini skirt. And the Lord said to me, <laughs> and uh, I fell in love with her. And we were married only a few years later. And um, we've done it. It's been an adventure. Uh, just this May, we came back to New Zealand, went to Queenstown for our 50th wedding anniversary. That's not too bad, is it? 50 years. And uh, we've got 14 grandchildren, we've got four kids, but my kids say you've forgotten about us. And I said, well, of course, you're no longer important. The grandchildren are important. And we've, so we've got 14 grandchildren and we've got two great-grandchildren. And it's so, uh, what's the word? I was going to use the word nice, but it's not a good word. But it's such a joy to sit in our church at home and see our granddaughter song leading and our younger kids coming on, our, you know, the grandchildren starting to serve God and find Christ. So it's a wonderful thing because God's into multi-generational. Do you believe that? So he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not just the God of Abraham. And uh, he, he loves all of us. And um, we've been retired now for seven years. I can't believe this is our seventh year, end of this year, I think it is. And we handed our church over to all the young Turks. And the church is going really well. And um, so good to see, multi-generational. I have a real heart for that. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you've been on the road with Christ uh, for many years or just a few years. There's always something to do. And we've discovered that since we've retired, there's actually no such thing as unemployment in the kingdom of God. You might not be retired, you might be, but there's always something to do. And we've just said to the Lord, well, Lord, if you want us to do something, well, you just tell people and they can invite us and we'll go. And it's amazing. We've been uh, all over the world uh, in the last seven years. It's been quite amazing. And just seeing God do incredible things. So one of the things I've done while I've retired, I've tried to get committed because I've got a bit more time to writing a book a year and I'm just about on it. So um, the last year I completed my last book. It's actually at the printer's. And I'm going to launch it in our church when I go home in September. It's called Normal Christian. Um, is there any normal Christians out there? I've met a lot of abnormal Christians. And I don't mean weird. I mean, when I mean normal, I mean, are they biblical? Are they Holy Spirit people? I meet a lot of Christians and they're not Bible people. Or they're not people of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, well, that's not normal. The Bible is our eternal normal. So there's no deconstruct. There's no reconstruct. There's no 
uh, reanalysis. Because you know, I've read this for over 50 years. I haven't found my name in there. I haven't found where God says, what do you think, Gordo? That's Australian, you know, that God would visit me and go, look, I wrote this 2,000 years ago, but what do you think, Gordo? Do you think that applies today? What's your opinion? See, God doesn't ask for our opinion. He just gives us his word. So the word of God is our eternal normal. And here's the amazing thing. This Bible works 2,000 years ago, and it's working today. If we would just become normal. Some of the other books I've got here, you can get a hold of them. This one here is Yes, Holy Spirit. Did you know this is a spirit-filled Pentecostal church? If it isn't, if you're not in it rather, if you're not, read this and receive the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Don't just be an intellectual Christian. So I wrote this for people, and there's a whole lot of stuff in there about you know, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, speaking in tongues. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. You can get a hold of that. This one here, God of Miracles. I wrote that to help people uh, experience miracles in their life, and we've seen so many miracles in the last 50 years or so as we've served the Lord. And this one here, I'm going to talk a bit about this tomorrow night. Take someone with you. So notice it doesn't say Leadership 101, because I actually believe all of us are leaders. We have people that have a role of leadership, but I believe all of us are called to be kingdom people and to be people of influence in our world. So we might not never lead a church or be the head of youth or Sunday school, whatever, but we can all influence and take someone with us. So that's kind of what that book is about. And that was my book last year, Church, Gate of Heaven. So that's all about the history of the church, where it came from, but not the church history. I did that for my doctorate, but this is more biblical history. What does the Bible say about the church and how should we live and what should we be? And there's a lot of stuff in there for you. You can get a hold of them. I've got other books as well up there, and um, I'm sure you'll be blessed if you uh, get a hold of them and uh, get into them. It's great. Fantastic. Let's pray for some people. I always like to start the meeting praying for people. Um, <clears throat> so I want to pray for people tonight uh, for several things specifically. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to say what it is or whatever. We're going to pray for you generally. But I want to specifically address certain things and pray for you. I want to pray for some people that have suffered from very bad migraines and I also want to pray for people that have had what we would call like, um, it's almost like a depression, but um, it, you get waves of sadness, of darkness coming into your mind and into your heart. And that's not of God. Don't, don't ever accept it and say, well, that's just me. If it's not in the Bible, don't accept it. Right? Now, that might be your reality, and you will need maybe medical help and other things, but I also believe with that, supernatural things can happen too, and, and God can uh, deliver you, uh, because sometimes I've discovered these things can be environmental, they can be hormonal, and for those things, we do need medical help, we do need professional help. But I have an old saying, you can't medicate a demon. So if, if it's demonic, if it's a demonic attack on your life to immobilize you and cause you to live in fear and intimidation and lack of confidence, that's not from God. And, you know, there is such a thing as the name of Jesus that can help us. Do you believe that tonight? And I, I want to pray for some people, and we're not going to ask you to 
to say what it is. It's not like that. This isn't a counselling session. This is an altar session, okay? So if you've got those needs, we're going to get you to come to the altar and we're going to pray a general prayer. Because I don't believe I need to know what your problem is. But I do need to provide an opportunity for you to be engaged with the Holy Spirit and for something very powerful to happen. I also want to pray for people as I did this morning. I have a real burden today to pray for people with pain in their body. Um, And this morning I asked to pray for people that have like a pulsating pain. And I prayed for people that had a clicking. Isn't that amazing? God can heal incredibly. I'm just so confident. I had an altar call like like this morning, Pastor, in another church. It was a couple of years ago. And I was walking down praying, actually, and talking like this and praying. And I went past this person, and I felt this thing. I said, who's the person here with numb fingers? And this lady put a hand up, kind of embarrassed, and she said, oh, that's me. She said, 18 years ago when my last child was born, something happened in the, in the delivery, and all the tips of her fingers at the top, just at the top, were numb. They've been numb for 18 years. And I said, just step forward. And I put my hand on her head and I just said, be healed in Jesus' name. And I moved along. She came up after the meeting and she said to me, Pastor, you you won't believe this. I thought, well, give me a go. And she said, all the numbness is gone. It's been there for 18 years and it's gone. She said, and she was so excited. So God can heal. Do you believe that? And some of us need unusual miracles. Some of us need what I call private miracles. And that's great too. So whatever that miracle is, God can heal you. I want to pray for people tonight too that have chemical imbalance. It would be no exaggeration. My wife's on the front row, so I've got to tell the truth. We would have prayed for thousands of people over the last seven years for this. God spoke to me in a meeting and I just asked people like that. And it was in a meeting probably twice the size of this. And I couldn't believe the response. How many people? Low iron, high iron, low thyroid, high thyroid. And we've heard of so many miracles when we pray and believe for this. And I believe God can bring our bodies back into balance. And God can heal us and really help us. Do you believe that? Hands up those that would like prayer for any of those things or anything else. You might have pain or another condition. Just raise your hand. Give me a wave. Look at that. People over here too. Let's all stand together. Let's just turn it into a prayer meeting for a few minutes. If you've got any pain, any of those conditions, just come to the altar. Come right down to the altar. Come to the Lord and believe God. That's right. Come forward. Come right forward. I'm not going to bite you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come forward. Fill in the gaps. That's great. <clears throat> now, now, just a general thing to help people too. You notice I'm not yelling. I'm just talking. I was in a really awesome Pentecostal meeting quite a few years ago, and I'm a pretty. Ex- when I get in the spirit and I'm doing, I get pretty excited. And so I was yelling and I was praying for casting out the devil. And I felt the Lord speak to me. You know, I took a breath, Pentecostal breath, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, will you be quiet? Like, will you just start listening to me? And I, and I quite rebuked, you know, and I thought, oh, because I was all excited because people were getting healed too. But I really felt the Lord say to me, slow down because healing's not emotional. It's not an emotional thing. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? 
It's the power of God coming upon you. And we don't need to help God. Are you with me? We, we, get, we get a thing called anxiety as humans when we get sick, and it's normal. It's natural, but it's not spiritual. And what we do is we begin to strive to get healed. Have you seen people trying to get fit? They're killing themselves. <laughs> My wife and I live on an apartment right in front of the water, and there's a walkway, and I sit there having a coffee and usually read my Bible or whatever, and I just like watching people exercise. And you see these people, they are so committed to getting fit. You can see them, their whole body's up tight. And I think, they're going to have a heart attack, man. No, 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 don't try to get healed. Exercise faith. Healing comes through faith in the promises of God, okay? And as my black preacher friend says in America in the South, pastor, he says, the Bible says, by his stripes, we were healed. And if we were healed, we is healed. Because it's was. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to pray a prayer that accepts what Jesus did to as if it is happening now. And then we trust him for the results. We don't go back to our seat and try to get healed. We, do, we don't try to get emotional. We just leave it with God. And we go back to our seat and we let God heal us. For some of us, it's instant. For some of us, it's progressive. Sometimes God puts us in a weight. And people have said to me, but Pastor Gordon, you're a doctor. Why? And I give them a really good answer. I don't know. And the people that say they do know are just selling us short. We must trust God. It comes down to trust. So you're ready to pray? How about if you put a hand on your heart and reach out a hand to the Lord Church, will you pray? If you know someone, pray for them. Some of you have prayed this before. Some of you have become discouraged. But tonight your courage is going to grow as you put faith in Christ and his finished work. Say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and carrying my sin. And just as you took my sin away, I now give you my pain. I give you my sickness, and I ask you to take it away. I declare boldly right now that by your stripes, I am healed in Jesus' name. Father, touch each one right where they are. Take away the pain, take away the anxiety, and let the power of Jesus Christ minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, do you believe it? Come on, let's give the Lord a clap. Let's thank him. Now, when you go and sit down, don't check it out. Don't go to your seat and go, did that work? That's not faith. That's going to the natural. Stay in the spirit. Do you hear me? That's good. You can be seated. Awesome. Hey, thank you, church. You're awesome. This morning, if you were here, I talked a bit about... Um, how God's called us to be spiritual people. And that calling has called us to be successful. And I told the story about if I was selling a boat and Pastor Alan needed a boat and he, he comes and sees me and he says, um, uh, I'm interested in your boat, but can I ask you a question? Why are you selling it? And I said, well, 
I want to sell it and get a proper boat because this boat is designed to sink. Would he buy my boat? No, because boats aren't designed to sink. They're designed to float. And everywhere I go, I hear this message too often where people are saying the Christian life is designed to sink. They don't quite put it that way, but through their words, through the songs they sing, and and I hear Christians say, well, it's just me. Well, I've got some good news for you tonight. The Bible says that you died in Christ, and your life is hid in Christ and God, and that God designed you to be victorious and to live a sin-free life, not a sinless life, because we're not perfect, but we are powerful. And with every temptation and with every sin, the Bible says, God will make a way of escape. So when temptation comes, we don't struggle. We, we don't fight it. We don't get angry. We just look for the exit sign. There's one over there. It's a green sign above the door. So if something bad happens here, you, you don't panic, right? You look for the exit sign, and that's where you head, Right? Well, it's the same in our spiritual life. When difficulties come, when temptation come, when we're confronted with sin, we don't go, oh, well, it's me. Or, you know, I've got no strength. You just look for the exit sign because the Bible says God will make a way of escape. He will always, with the temptation, he will bring a way of escape. Isn't that awesome to know? And so tonight I want to just build on that and look at a few scriptures and Talk about, okay, so we're, we've been set free from sin. We're spiritual people, but what does, that, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a spiritual person, or as I say in my new book, a normal Christian? What, what does that look like? And I think we need to talk about it. I think it's great to look at the Bible and consider what it looks like. Well, the Apostle Paul was incredible. In the book of Romans... In the book of Corinthians and in the book of Ephesians and Galatians as well, he talks about three men. So they are uh, pictures of three spiritual conditions that we may all find ourselves in. The first one that he talks about is the spiritual man or the spiritual person. And this person is from the Greek word pneumatikos, and it basically means to belong to the divine spirit. means to belong to the divine spirit. In other words, it's one who is filled and governed by the Holy Spirit. And you see that coming out in Romans 8 particularly, and 1 Corinthians 2. So in other words, the spiritual man or the spiritual person is the born-again, renewed, spirit-filled, spirit-indwelt, spirit-empowered, spirit-led, and spirit-governed person. I've just summarized Romans chapter 8. The second man or person or state that we can find ourselves in spiritually, he calls the natural man. The natural person comes from the Greek word soukos, 
which means to be governed by breath or the sensual nature of our humanity. In other words, we are driven by appetite and passions. The natural man. So the natural man or the natural person is the unrenewed, unregenerate and unrepentant sensuous person who is governed by appetites, passions, and are living by what we call the five senses. What they see, what they smell, what they taste, what they hear. So have you heard people say, well, what do you feel? That that statement or approach to life have caused innumerable cases or examples of shipwrecked lives. My friends in America put it this way, you be you. What do you mean? You be you. Another one is, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. But you see, that's all language of the natural. That's not language of the spirit. Our calling isn't to follow our hearts. And you can hear it in the church. I hear people all the time, I feel Or, in my heart, this is what I really think. No, no, no. Our calling is to follow the Word of God and what the Holy Spirit reveals. They're the only two things that we need to concern ourselves with. And often you will find as a Christian, as you seek to obey the Word of God, your five senses and your thinking and your feelings will be anti that very action. So here's the thing, if you want easy, Christianity's not for you. Any dead fish can float downstream. But it takes a living, powerful fish to stream fish, or rather swim upstream. You and I are called to live contrary to the natural. Paul put it this way. He said, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. Like recently in Australia, I know it never happens here, we had one of our politicians quote the Bible as though he's a theologian, as as though I care. So here's this, for a political reason, he's quoting a scripture at the Christians. I would say this is Dr. Moore uh, in theology. He completely misquoted it and misused it for his political ends. See, what what am I saying? I'm saying, as Christians, we don't listen to the natural. Because the natural is unregenerate. The natural does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. See, the natural man and the spiritual man are the opposites. They are contrary to one another. They work in different spirits, if we can use that language. Paul in his epistle says, the natural man lives according to the spirit of the world, whereas the spiritual person lives according to the spirit of God. And it says they're enemies in Romans 8. They're enmity or they're against one another. This is because the spiritual person is spiritually enlightened. Did you know that one of the first gifts you got when you were born again was your eyes were opened. 
You began to understand the Bible. You began to understand yourself. But what happens as we go along the road a bit, we, we kind of begin to get lost in that and we start taking on our culture and what the world's saying and what our friends are saying. And you can't have both. They're opposed to each other. But then there's a third man, a third condition, and he's in the middle. So you've got the spiritual person and you've got the natural person. And in the middle, Paul calls this person or man the carnal man. Now, the carnal man's really interesting. It comes from a Greek word, sarcosis, if you want to do a study of it. Um, And it actually means having the nature of the flesh, being controlled by appetites. So, So you've got here, let's just say you've got the natural man. That person becomes born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and now they're a spiritual person. But like I said this morning, if we sin, we're not perfect. We can live in power above our sin. But this is what I realize, having been a Christian for over 50 years. We're all one step, including myself. We are one step away from reversion through disobedience, through fear, through doubt, to our old life. All of us. That's why Paul said... If you think you're standing, take heed that you are standing. The Bible's full of this, the New Testament. Take heed to yourself. Watch out for yourself. Be always alert. Why? Because it only takes one act of disobedience based on fear or doubt or whatever, and we revert back. That person is known as a carnal person. I like to use the term carnal Christian because that's really where this person is. In other words, this is a person who's experienced God, they've been born again, they're regenerated, but they've reverted back to be controlled by their natural appetites and passions rather than the Spirit of God. It's really interesting. And it's really interesting, the book of Romans says this in chapter 8, he talks about being carnally minded and being spiritually minded. So if you look at the book of Romans, Paul's an incredible writer. He has three chapters in the middle of the whole writing, the whole book, chapter 6, 7, and 8. And one day I was studying it, and I realized that chapter 7 is not supposed to be there. Because if you read chapter 6 and chapter 8 together and don't read chapter 7, they belong to each other. That they have the same language. They all talk, they, those, both those chapters talk about victory over sin, over the flesh, over the old life, and the victory that's in Christ. So the natural person comes to chapter 6, and we die to self, and we are buried, and we rise to be a spiritual person in Christ. And we're this new person. So then Paul's put in chapter 7 in the middle because this is the area where people in the Christian world get caught. And he says this in Romans chapter 7, 24. He said, O wretched man that I am. So he says, the good I want to do, I don't do it. And the bad I hate doing, that's what I do. (laughs) He's in spiritual confusion. Why? 
because he's not controlled by the spiritual life. He's not listening to the word of God. He's obeying his passions. I've actually nailed this down to about two things. I reckon there may be other things you might be able to think about, but I've thought about two things that actually cause this. Number one, unrepentance for sin that I've committed, and I find myself struggling in chapter 7. I want to do the good, but I can't. I don't want to do the bad, but that's what I do, oh wretched man that I am. And the second one is unforgiveness. I travel all over the world. I've met so many hurt Christians. It's like, as, as though people are everywhere getting hurt. Like, we, we, we need actually a bit of a growth, if I can put it nicely, in the body of Christ. Some people need to grow up. Because life is not about not being hurt. You know, they have today, they had last generation, uh, they called parents helicopter parents. And they helicopter like a helicopter over their children. Now, this generation, they call them lawnmower parents. So where the helicopter's like hovering to make sure nothing goes wrong, now the next generation are lawnmowers. You can read about in psychology and everything. And what they do is they go in front and prepare a perfect thing for them and they never get hurt. They all get cups when they play soccer. They all get a cup. For what? Like I said to my grandson when he first started playing rugby and he got a cup and I said, what's that for? And he said, oh, it's a participation trophy. I said, well, you got a cup for turning up? Go give it back to your coach. You lost. L-O-S-T. You weren't good enough today. So let's train and let's coach and let's practice so we get better so we can win. What, a participation program? Oh, man, you can see I'm really fired up. I used to be a phys ed teacher. And so what happens is we have people in the body of Christ, I would say there'd be thousands and thousands, I'm all over the world, who are either unrepentant because they sinned, or they're hurt and they're unforgiving. Both will destroy your spirituality. They're like a cancer. They're like a rot that gets into your spirit and they'll eat you away and you'll find yourself carnal. You're still in church. You still believe in Jesus. But like Romans 7, oh wretched man that I am. But then Paul gets to the end of the chapter. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then full stop or question mark. And then he says, I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're in that position or you know somebody in that position, what do they do? They've got to go back to chapter 6 and die to self, be buried in Christ, and be raised by the power of the Spirit to jump straight into chapter 8. And I've discovered Christians that can be stuck in chapter 7 for like 20 years, all because they wouldn't forgive someone. Or they didn't put their hand up and said, I did it. It was me. (laughs) And it goes right back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? So the devil comes and tempts Eve and she gives it to Adam and all that. And then the Lord said to Adam, what have you done? He said, it wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. 
So he goes to Eve and he says, so Eve, what have you done? And she said, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't, it was the serpent and he didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> anyway, so we'll, we'll just keep moving along. Um, so, so if, if you want to do some reading, if you want to know what a spiritual person is, their attitude, their approach, read Romans chapter eight. But tonight I want to take a few things and for time, I'm not going to Take the whole time, but I want to talk about some ideas in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. So you've got your Bible, you can open it, and I'm just going to pull out a few things. I haven't got time. There's about 15 characteristics or traits of a spiritual person right there. It's a phenomenal chapter. Let me, let me say number one. The first thing about a spiritual person is they live internal in the spirit, not external in the flesh. So, so you say, what do you mean? Well, the spiritual person is not living by the five senses. By the power of the Holy Spirit, what I spoke about this morning, they have learned to become a victor or have power over their five senses. I'll tell you, I've got there. I, have my, I turned 71. And I ride a bike. That's how I keep reasonably trim. And I ride about 30 to 50 Ks two or three times a week when I'm home if I can. But when I get waking at around 5 a.m., this is what goes in my head. Oh, it's pretty cold out there. You know, Brisbane, cold. Are you kidding me? Or, oh, 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 I was lifting... Those boxes for Joe the other yesterday, my hips. You know, you're seventy. You know, you you probably need to take the day off. So, so you know, we all have different things going on. But the older you get, you, you, this starts to happen, and you can let your five senses rule you, or you can get yourself out of bed and say, "No, I'm going to go do it." That's called self-control. It's called mastery of self. And that's all here in the New Testament. But it's not mastery in a struggle in my own flesh. It's because I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm not a boat that will sink. I'm a boat designed to float, to be successful, to achieve because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got to learn how to tap into the Holy Spirit. And so the, 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 the spiritual person is not looking for an outward sign. When I was growing up as a Christian, we used to look for fleeces. Do you know what a fleece is? A sign. So God, give me a sign. Actually, a spiritual person doesn't need a sign. That's actually an Old Testament concept. I've got the Holy Spirit in me, leading me into all truth. If I just listen to him and I have spiritual understanding, God will begin to show me. And that's why John said, you don't need anyone else to teach you, but the Holy Spirit will show you. But if we're struggling in the flesh, it's not going to happen. Here's the second thing in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. You discover that this person lives by faith. He says that your faith won't be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let me ask you a question. What's your faith in? Is it in the doctrine of the church or you did the catechism? 
or you have the five steps to correct theology. Actually, the word theology is not in the Bible. Doctrine is, because theology is something you argue about. Doctrine is something you do. (laughs) Anyway, i just throw it out there. So faith is in the power of God. Here's the thing about faith, Hebrews chapter 11, 1. Now faith is. For a spiritual person, faith is always in the now. So I'm not going, well, God, I'll do that tomorrow. Or God, I'll serve you uh, when I'm 23 and I've got a job and I can afford it. You know, some of the biggest givers in our church are teenagers. Over the years, some of our biggest givers, I'll say it again, have been teenagers. So we've got these older Christians who are going, yes, Lord, I can't afford it because of that and because of this and the other. And I've got, we've got teenagers that get a couple of hours each week in McDonald's or Kentucky or whatever, and they put that in the building fund or bring it to their offering. And when you add up what they gave over the year, it's more than older people. Why? Because faith doesn't say, I'll wait till I get this or I'm gifted or I'm educated. The only thing, the, the only thing that a spiritual person's interested in is what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit's leading you into. And it doesn't matter whether you've got a big bank account on that. That's got nothing to do with it. It's about explicit obedience to what the Holy Spirit's revealing. And if we would just live like that, we will live spiritual lives. And God will lead us and he will provide for us. It's amazing. Now faith is. Oh, I love it. The spiritual person is focused on obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit in the now, in the present, in the moment. Don't wait till tomorrow or when you're older or you're rich. What does God want me to do now? What are you asking me to do? I'll do it. So I walk by faith. The third thing is this. The spiritual person is judging all things. I think the scripture's up there. You'll probably see it if it goes. But in the Amplified Bible, can I read the Amplified to you? But the spirit, no, no, it's not Amplified like that. But the spiritual man, the spiritually mature Christian judges all things, brackets, questions, examines, and applies what the Holy Spirit reveals. Man, isn't that awesome? Yet he himself is judged of no one or by no one. The unbeliever cannot judge and understand a spiritual person's true nature or spiritual nature. For who has known the mind and purposes of the Lord so we can instruct them? But we have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and his purposes. Isn't that incredible? Have you heard people say today, oh, judge not lest ye be judged. That's taking like one little phrase out of about 10 verses. It's taking a modern, if I can use that word, secular view that we don't judge anyone, we accept everyone and applying it to Christians. What about this one? Real Christians don't judge. The Bible says we're to judge everything. Everything. But what kind of judgment is he talking about? The word judge means to examine. It it means to investigate, scrutinize, 
to question. I love this definition. To determine the excellence or the defects of a person or a thing. Amazing, isn't it? See, the spiritual person is suspicious of all worldly, natural, and carnal values, beliefs, philosophies, thinkings, and motivations. Because they run counter to the word of God. And if we have no judgment, no spiritual understanding, we'll just believe anything. So you've heard people say this, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. It's so true. So we have Christians say, oh, well, I shouldn't judge. Well, it just makes weak Christians. The Bible says judge everything. I haven't got time to go into it all. But if you look at Ephesians 1, one of the first gifts we're given as we see, I mentioned it before, and he calls it a spirit of understanding, of revelation and understanding in the will of God. You and I are to be wise people. And I've discovered one of the best ways to become wise is question everything. Like this message tonight. Oh man, he's a doctor. Wow, I just that's that's awesome. No, no, we've got to be like the Bereans. They heard the great apostle preach and he said they were more noble than all other Christians because he said they went home and searched the scriptures to see whether the things that Paul was saying were true. Judging everything. You judge every message. You judge every song. I judge every song I sing. I won't sing what I call Christian. Garbage. Rubbish. I am weak. I'm a worm. We used to sing it when I was a young Christian. Break me. (laughs) I'm a worm. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You were a worm. So to be correct, you could sing, I was a worm, but now I'm a saint. There's another one people say. They say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You're a saint of God saved by grace. You were a sinner. See, you say, are you, are you spilling? He is here. Are you, what, are you just making? No, it's really important. Because a spiritual person judges all things. So what is he judging? So that he knows what's good and pleasing to God and we can hold on to it. Thessalonians, judge everything. It says, test everything and hold on to that which is good. So it's not a judgment to condemn or to pull down. No, no, no. It's a judgment to analyze, is that right? Is that true? What what did Jesus say? By their fruits, you know them. We're not to be people judges, but we're to be fruit judges. If, If Christians would just look at the fruit of things, it would just change our whole thing. And here's the question, yeah, did that work? (laughs) And if we just learn to ask that question, if you ask that question, okay, he says that, but does it work? It's like one of our leading politicians, I won't mention any party or anything, but this politician is waxing eloquent about saving the planet. And there was a reporter there that actually... I don't think he was a Christian, but he judged her. Not in a rad way. So he said, oh, I've got a question. Uh, what car do you own? And she said, oh, a Patrol V8. He said, is it petrol or diesel? She said, it's diesel. He said, isn't that hypocritical? 
you're preaching to me to buy an electric car and you're driving a diesel V8. And this is what she said. Yeah, but I'm different. I have a family. I've got five kids. They won't fit in an electric vehicle. And this is what he said. He came straight back to her. He said, well, I'll tell you what, when you start practicing what you preach and I can see that it's working in your life, then maybe I might consider it. I mean, doesn't that apply to Christianity? So we have prophets coming in. We've got teachers coming in saying all manner of things today. And Christians just, wow, awesome. They've got a smoke machine. And it sounds so good and they've written songs all about it. So ask the question, did it work? Where's the fruit of that preaching? Where's the fruit of that teaching? Did it work? Judging all things. Oh, I love it. Is this helping anybody? Let's finish with this idea. Self-examination first. Judge not lest ye be judged. For the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. Hypocrite. First, take the beam out of your own eye. Then, then you'll be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We are to judge each other. But it's not a judgment to condemn. I mean, I look at your pastors. I've known, I've known Pastor Alan since he was a boy. I, used to, I was a youth guy with hair. I know that their lives are working. They're not perfect. But I know their lives are working because I've observed them over a lot of years. And you can trust them because they're here. They're not going anywhere. Don't be enamored by people that have the lingo and all the razzmatazz and the sales pitch. Judge it. And don't condemn people. It's not like, oh, yeah, they're hoping. No, it's, okay, you're saying that. Did it work? What's the fruit of that? If I do that, what's the fruit? Spiritual enlightenment and spiritual understanding. You know, when we judge ourselves first, our eyes are opened. That's what Jesus is saying. Because he was, he was hitting the hypocrites, the Pharisees. Can you imagine a beam in their eye? A beam is like a beam. It's in your eye. You can't see. But he says, first, take away the beam. Oh, now I can see everything clearly. Self-judgment is first. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. If we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. A spiritual person is alive in the Spirit. A spiritual person is empowered by the Holy Spirit. A spiritual person lives now in faith. A spiritual person judges and estimates and examines everything, starting with themselves first. You weren't designed to sink. You were designed to float. You were designed to be successful. You were designed to live a life of victory and joy. So are there problems? Yes. Will there be difficulties? Yes. But with them, God will bring a way of escape and will be able to resist temptation and live a great life. Do you believe that? Why don't you close your eyes in the presence of God? Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for opening our eyes. Let us have eyes of understanding. Let us have ears that hear. 
but not what the world's saying, not what our flesh is saying, but what your word is saying and what your Holy Spirit is revealing. You know, right now, before I hand the meeting over to Pastor Eleanor, maybe tonight you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you need to come back. Maybe you've been like that carnal Christian. You've been struggling. And it can be a point of repentance. It can be a point of forgiveness. But maybe this, this evening, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if that's you, I'd count it a privilege to include you in a prayer. If you'd like to come to the Lord for the first time or come back, why don't you slip your hand up right where you are and say, Gordon, that's me. Include me in your prayer. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. Is there anyone else? Very quickly. I'm not going to delay because this is a decision. Why do we ask people to make a decision like this? Because life is all about our decisions. That's how God set it up. We decided to sin and not follow God. And now, tonight, you're deciding that you're going to follow God. You're going to follow the Lord. I'm looking one more time over to my left. Is there anybody? Just slip your hand up. Anyone else? Through the center of the church. And over to my right. Let's all stand together, shall we? We're going to pray this prayer. And these two guys that have raised their hand, I want you to put your hand on your heart. But let everyone pray it. It's a beautiful prayer. You pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus, tonight I open the door of my heart to my whole life, nothing held back, and I come to you. I repent for the sins that I've committed, and I forgive anyone that's hurt me. Wash me and make me clean. Make me your child in Jesus' name.